Palm Sunday begins the Holy Week and tradition receives palms on this day. There is a tradition where palms are distributed to the saints, to the people in the church. And the people in the church take these palms and they take them to their homes. They put them in their Bibles. Some traditions even have them take them to the funeral, or excuse me, to the gravesite of their beloved. And then on Shrove Tuesday, during Shroventide, the church collects up the year's previously palms, previous palms, and burns them for the beginning of Lent and Ash Wednesday. And then you have Thursday, something about Monday, and then Holy Good Friday, and so forth. Where is the Reformed Church with Palm Sunday? The Reformed Church has always been careful to distinguish the Historia Salutis from the Ordo Salutis. The Reformed Church has always been careful to differentiate the history of salvation from the order of salvation. The history of salvation is the history of Christ's fulfillment. It's the history of Christ fulfilling the Old Testament promises, Christ completing the Old Testament. And the order of salvation is what the history commands us to do. So the history of salvation is redemption accomplished. And we don't practice redemption we believe it. And that belief is part of the ordo. In the ordo, we must, we're commanded to believe. We're commanded to repent. We're commanded to practice the Lord's Day and the Lord's Supper and so forth. We don't practice Palm Sunday. We believe it. Palm Sunday is gospel. And that's what I want to prove this morning from our text, that Palm Sunday is the history of salvation. It's not the beginning of the Holy Week. It's the beginning of eternal life. So, the triumphal entry. Verse 1, now when they drew near to Jerusalem, now the verb, the adverb, now, reminds us that Jesus had spent the bulk of his ministry up in Galilee, this beautiful mountainous green region of Israel, Galilee. Galilee actually means the district of the Gentiles. That's why it is called Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee of the Gentiles, it's it's a term of derision. Galilee where the unclean people live. Galilee where the unclean. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Juxtaposed to that is Jerusalem, the holy city. The holy city, the political city, the place where the throne was, the place where the kings reigned, the the place where the priests and and the religious establishment was established, the temple, the throne, the holy of holies. It was Jewish through and through. Juxtaposed to that, you have Galilee. And the outsider, and Jesus was an outsider, but now he's come. 
This outsider had arrived by a dusty road, but before entering Jerusalem, he rested in the suburban town of Bethpage, and he came to Bethpage, the text said, and he sat on the Mount of Olives. And from the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples. He sent his two disciples to go and and get some transportation. Verse 2, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately, immediately, you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. That's an interesting text. I I suppose you could try this. What would Jesus do? You could go home this afternoon, and maybe this next morning, tomorrow morning, you can go try to take your neighbor's car. And (laughs) if your neighbor says, what are you doing? You just say, well, the Lord needs them. That's not the application, by the way. The application is not what would Jesus do. It hardly ever is. Mark is not, excuse me, Matthew is not so interested in how it works, but why it worked. It worked because it fulfills prophecy. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Matthew's interested in how it worked or why it worked, because it fulfilled prophecy. One of the things you have to recognize with Matthew 21, 1 through 11, is there's really not a pericope or chapter in the Bible or a section in Scripture that has as many Old Testament allusions and Old Testament quotes. It's almost as if every line in Matthew 21, 1 through 11, is either an Old Testament allusion or an Old Testament prophecy. And there is a prophecy tied to this donkey and its colt. And that prophecy is Genesis 49. In Genesis 49, 11, we read, we hear in Genesis 49, 11, the prophecy of Jacob to Judah. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. Jacob proclaimed that Judah's son, whom the scepter would not depart, would ride a donkey with its colt. Israel's eternal king in time would ride a donkey with its colt, and that time has come. Promises are being fulfilled. The history of salvation is being completed before our very eyes. Jesus is fulfilling the promise that Jacob made to Judah way back when in Genesis 49. Now, interestingly enough, it says his his garments will be washed in wine, the vestures of blood and grapes. This is a picture of death, really a picture. It's a metaphor of victory, really. It's a metaphor of victory for in the ancient world when the kings would come riding into their cities, if the king was covered in blood, wasn't his own blood, it was the blood of his victory. It was the blood of his enemy as he rode in victorious, the kingdom is secure. Now, interestingly enough, or a problem that this text poses is that Jesus is riding a service animal. He's riding a farm animal. He should be riding a war horse. In the blood of his garments, 
Let's just say he's not going into Jerusalem to reign. He's going into Jerusalem to die. This is a conquest, but is a conquest of another kind, something not of this world. This is the gospel kind, where the king says, I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He entered Jerusalem on a lowly donkey to give his life. He came as a suffering servant. Already the entry points to Good Friday. This is gospel. So this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, and then we have a mismatch, a mismatch of, well, not a mismatch, but a smorgasbord here of, of various prophecies. Verse 5, say to the daughter of Zion, this clause comes from Isaiah 62.11. Say to the daughter of Zion, and in this Isaiah 62.11, Isaiah proclaimed the restoration of Israel from exile. He proclaimed their restoration from exile, and he proclaimed a glorious, a glorious new age, a glorious new day was coming. A new day, a new day of glory. What does that mean? It means Palm Sunday is eschatology. Palm Sunday is end times. What's end times, biblically speaking, anyway? End times according to the Bible, is the dead are raised to new and eternal life. This is gospel. In times is gospel, and this is gospel stuff. The dead are being raised to new and eternal life. It is in times. The times are being fulfilled. A new day was coming. A new day, a new life. This means believe the gospel. This means believe the gospel and know no matter your sin or the sinful nature with which you will struggle your whole life long and you will struggle with sins. But know that in Christ, you are a new creature. New means the old has passed away. The new means the old is gone. The new means in Christ, all your sins have been forgiven. All your past sins, all your present sins, and all your future sins are old, gone, and passed away. You bear them no more, for Palm Sunday has come. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This prophecy is Zechariah 9.9. In Zechariah 9.9, we are told that the Lord will restore Jerusalem, that they will be restored from their destruction and their misery. The Assyrians have come through, the Babylonians have come through, the Persians have come through, and now God will come through for Israel. He will restore them from their destruction. He will restore them from their misery. And so Palm Sunday, according to Zechariah, because Christ is fulfilling it, is the return of the king for restoration but not on a war horse, again, on a service animal, 
donkey. And Christ will bring, according to Zechariah, Christ will bring what every beauty pageant must proclaim. World peace. But not the kind of peace that beauty pageants preach. Christ is bringing peace with God. And you need that peace with God. Remember that you will struggle with sins your whole life long part? That's an important part to remember. You're going to struggle with sins your whole life long. Don't forget that. And God hates sin. And God must punish sin with extreme punishment of body and soul in hell. But the king has restored peace. Christ walked the palm-covered way to his own death. He went through hell on the cross to satisfy God's wrath, to bring everlasting peace. That means the misery that we now face as Christians, because you will face misery. That means the misery you face, you face is not wrath. The suffering you faith, face as a Christian is grace. It's God's grace to the Christian. You see, Christianity frees you to see the world's happiness for what it is. The world's happiness is wanting, shallow, and fleeting. But you can have the joy of the Lord, and it is a joy that lasts forever. I'm not talking health and wealth, prosperity gospel. You're going to suffer as a Christian. Matter of fact, become a Christian, you're probably going to suffer more. But there's a purpose. There's a purpose in the suffering if, this is important, there is purpose in the suffering if you let the suffering drive you deeper and deeper into the nailed, scarred hands of your Savior. And there you will find true life. Because there you will find love unimaginable. There you will find freedom. And there you will have your only comfort in life and in death. All because you suffered. Verse 6, that's the new life. Verse 6. Disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, and it worked. Verse 7, they brought the donkey and the colt and put, them on, put on them their cloaks and sat on them. And, and there's now another prophecy happening here. It's not so easily readily available from the text, but we know that this happened on Passover. Passover was a celebration in Israel that remembered the night when the Lord or the death angel, God's wrath, passed over the houses of Israel. And the death angel consumed Egypt's firstborn. But Israel was saved. Now at Passover, you had to walk. The rite of Passover in ancient Israel was you would walk into Jerusalem. But Jesus, in direct contrast of the command, he rides a donkey beside the passerbys, the pedestrians. Why? Why wasn't he a pedestrian? 
because this is the history of salvation. He doesn't need to be delivered. He's the deliverer. So he rides this donkey with his own robes dripped in blood. That is, he rides as a lamb led to the sacrifice. He is going in as the lamb to be sacrificed. What's happening here is gospel. The gospel is happening. As Christ entered Jerusalem and the palm branches waved, they were waving us to see our new life in Christ. Here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he's coming. In verse 8, And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now the spreading of the cloaks... Uh, the spreading of the cloaks was, a, was an ancient sign of respect. You would throw your own cloak and let the kings walk on the cloak. It was as if you were throwing yourself down at the king's feet. And in the waving of the branches, our text says branches, but John's gospel alludes to the palm branch where we get Palm Sunday. And the, raise, the, 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 the flashing of the palms was an ancient practice of, of celebrating. It was the way that the ancient world would celebrate a returning, victorious king. So this act of throwing their cloaks down and waving the palm branches, this act proclaims that Christ was victorious, and so they sang Psalm 118. And we see that in verse 9, Psalm 118. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to, the, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This is a royal psalm of David, a psalm of thanksgiving, a psalm of victory. And thus we call this text the triumphant entry. I kind of have a problem with the, the title, though, Triumphant Entry. Triumphal, is it triumphal? No, yeah, Triumphal Entry. I have a little problem with the Triumphal Entry because I think the title can get in way of the text if you don't understand what kind of triumph Jesus was accomplishing. If you think of Jesus as some kind of political, militaristic Messiah, then you have triumph of one kind, and that idea spoils the text. This is not the conquest of Israel. Jesus was not going into Jerusalem to make it great again. It's far greater than that. Verse 10, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? You kind of have to say it like this, who is this with your nose turned up? Oh. Who is this? Who, you know, they know exactly who this is, by the way. When they ask, who is this? Oh, they know who Jesus is. Jesus has been causing problems since day one. He's been nothing but a thorn in the hill of Jerusalem. They know who this was. Who is this? This Galilean. They have been very aware of Jesus since Epiphany. When the wise men came from the east to worship the newborn king, then they asked Herod, Herod who was king at the time, they asked Herod, where is he who was born king of the Jews? 
And at the question, Matthew's gospel says, and the whole city (coughs) was stirred up. (coughs) Excuse me. At the asking of a question, where is he who is to be born king of the Jews? Matthew says, all of Jerusalem was stirred up. Now, the Greek word stirred up, it's negative. It means they were agitated. They were agitated. Jerusalem is now agitated. Why would it be agitated? Herod no longer ruled in Jerusalem. The Roman prefect, Pontius Pilate, now ruled. Galilee, where Jesus came from, was under Herodian rule. So Galilee was still under the rule of Herod, but Jerusalem no longer. She was under the rule of Rome, strictly speaking. The land of the Gentiles was under Herodian rule. Herod was a Jew, which is very interesting. (laughs) Pontius Pilate, Gentile, right? And so now a king from the north, from another ruler, they're claiming he's king, but he's coming from the north, another kingdom, another ruler is now coming into Jerusalem. This spells trouble for Jerusalem with, or a potential threat with Jerusalem, with Rome. Jesus was bringing unrest, and so Jerusalem was understandably worried. And here's the problem that I have, or a problem that I have in this text. Everyone in this text, everyone in this narrative believes Jesus was bringing unrest, bringing civil unrest. Hence the triumphal entry. And the triumphal entry might be a problem if you think Jesus was coming to bring civil unrest. He wasn't coming to destroy socialism or democracy. Jesus is not a token God for your civil religion. Palm Sunday is not law, it's gospel. He's coming, he was coming to destroy our greatest enemy, and that enemy is death. And perhaps the real threat was against the religious establishment. Remember Jesus, the unclean Galilean? He ate with tax collectors and drank with sinners. Bah, who is this? And so the answer to Jerusalem's question over his identity really agitated. Verse 11, they asked, who is this? And I love how they answer. And the crowds answered, this is the prophet. Not a prophet. You have to really notice that definite article there. He's not, they don't say, hey, he's a prophet. They say, he's the prophet. Allusion to Deuteronomy. The prophet. Deuteronomy 18.15 
Moses writes, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Jesus is the prophet. The prophet fulfilling Moses in Deuteronomy 18. Jesus is the one who spoke face to face with God, just like Moses spoke face to face with God. Jesus was sent by God, and Jesus was able to conquer Jerusalem, able to conquer because he has divine right and divine power. And this only fueled their hatred of him. He was a bastard son of Nazareth. I love how they answered, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Ooh. (laughs) They hated hearing that. And I have a problem with the praise. You might ask, how can praising Jesus be a problem? It's not the praise, it's why they praised You see, Jesus' name is theological, and you cannot use his name rightly. You cannot praise his name rightly unless you have a right understanding of who he is, his person and his work. So here's my problem with the singing. They sang wrongly. They believed it was civil unrest. They sought victory over Rome. This was the praise of civil religion. This was the praise of civil unrest. They were singing an earthly song to an earthly king. And how do I know that? Because this is the same crowd a few days later who will holler and scream, crucify him. Once they realize his kingdom is not of this world, they screamed, crucify him. This is not a song of true faith. This is the crowd twisting scripture. It's one of the things you realize when you study the gospel, especially in Mark. In Mark's gospel, I remember, and just now I thought of this, I remember in Mark's gospel, every time there's a crowd, the crowd says bad things. (laughs) The crowd always goes wrong. It's always a single individual who approaches Jesus. That's right. The crowd is always lost. The masses are always confused. And it happens today, the crowds, when Christ is turned into an idol for worldly triumph. This wasn't worldly triumph. This was a parade of a lamb being led to the slaughter. Jesus entered Jerusalem to die at the hands of the Roman government because this is the history of salvation. Palm Sunday is the gospel. He entered Jerusalem to give his life as a ransom. It was the means to the cross. Jesus came to die for sinners to take away God's wrath that we might have, that we might have a triumphal entry into everlasting life. That's the triumphal entry. What he gained for us. And now you have a problem. Because there's another triumphal entry coming. The real triumphal entry is coming for those who do not believe. Revelation 19 says, the one sitting on it, and that is sitting on the war horse. The one sitting on the war horse is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. This will not be a coming of grace and peace. And so Palm Sunday is then a means of deliverance from the coming triumph. 
Palm Sunday is a means of deliverance from the real triumphal entry. So turn from your sins, trust Christ, and then let us say with the saints in heaven, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king has come. He has come to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. He offers salvation freely. And what Christ offers is better than a holy week. It's everlasting life. Do you believe? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.